0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, verses chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Pursue hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far far as it depends upon you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals upon their heads." Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, as we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed, speak For your servants are listening. Speak so clearly that we would hear what you would say to us today, so that leaving this time in worship with each other, but more importantly, in worship of you, that we would go forth as a changed people, not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So, back in May of this year, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, the uh, Lakers basketball player of great renown, shocked the world. He did something that was unthinkable. He put four of his championship rings and three of his MVP trophies up for sale. And he netted $2.8 million in selling these items. Now, it's not unheard of for sports stars to start selling off the memorabilia, but these are major pieces of memorabilia, MVP trophies and championship rings. But what's not surprising or what is shocking is not that he sold them, but what he did with the money. See, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he took the money and he used them to support organizations that provide education to youth in the Los Angeles area, to bring them up in their fortitude of the study of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now what we know about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is that he's always been one who has sought to improve the human condition. Whether advocating for equitable access to health insurance and healthcare or looking out for education access for all in Los Angeles, this has been his focus. He's even taken his Skyhook Foundation, and it provides a program that gives at-risk fourth and fifth graders in Los Angeles sort of an immersive experience to help them understand that the world of possibilities that's available to them if they get an education. And so through this immersive experience strengthens them, helps them become better students, and so much so that 96% of those that participate in this program have gone on to graduate Upon selling these trophies and these rings, he said, great players are willing to give up personal achievement for the achievement of the group. Now we know this in sort of a team setting like a basketball team where you see the star passing the ball rather than shooting all the time. We know what that looks like in a team setting, but the definition of group for him was not the Lakers, but it was the world. Great players are willing to give up personal achievement for the achievement of the group. Now, I think if John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, if he were alive and well and preaching in a church like this, he would have read that news on Sunday morning and he would have come to church and he said, it's right here. This is what I mean when I say to you, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places that you can, to all the people that you can, in all the times that you can, as long as you can do good. See what we know about John Wesley is simple, this simple phrase, do good. It's one of his three general rules, and he sort of condensed through sort of the whole of the gospel into general, into three general rules for us as Methodists to sort of anchor our lives on as we follow Jesus, as we practice our discipleship. See, I think he knows what you and I both know, that it's part of our human nature, that we like to take simple concepts and we overcomplicate them. I mean, Jesus knew this, he, he lived in this world, he comes into the world and as he grows up and he starts his earthly ministry, Jesus realizes that all of the Jewish faith was hidebound by these 600 laws. And so when he's tested, what does he challenge the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What is the greatest commandment? And they reply, love God with all your heart and all your might, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, basically, that's it. But then if we're unsure exactly what this depth of love is supposed to look like, later he tells us that we need to love our enemies. We need to love one another. He reminds us to love ourselves. But if we simply boil down the genesis of the kingdom, the the focus of what the earthly ministry of Jesus is about, it's about this word love, is it not? And if we do these things, love God, love our neighbor, love one another, love our enemies, love ourselves, we are building up the kingdom. So John Wesley sort of took a, a, he took a page right out of Jesus. I mean, if you're going to copy somebody, copy Jesus. That's what we should do, by the way. That's a charge. But he takes this page and he takes it and he sort of says, if you understand what the faith is all about. The first thing he says is, do no harm. And then he says, do good. And then he says, stay close to God. Three general rules. So last week we learned that do no harm is to think about the intentional and the unintentional ways that we cause harm in the world by our actions. So once we start to really begin to think about that and how we move and act in the world, the next step is to think, then what do we do? And that's where today enters in this idea of doing good. So this text in Romans that I just read, it reinforces this ideal that the marks of a Christian include doing good, that that's a sign of our discipleship. But the selfishness of our world wants us to make it all about ourselves and we focus on me and my and what I can get and what I can control and what I can hold on to no matter what the human cost to others might be. But the gospel of Christ challenges us to do good as individuals, To do good as a body of believers, as an institution, but as a people, for the sake of all the people of the world. And so when we decide that we're going to embark on lives that are doing good for the whole, it is countercultural to what society teaches. It is the gospel message of good news for a world that desperately needs to hear it by our actions, our words and our thoughts. So as we begin to think about this on a more individual, on a granular level, when we look at the person that we see in the mirror, what it is that we're supposed to do, we begin to realize this idea of doing good is part of our charge every day. But I want you to think about what the impact of that might be on the others around you. So I just want you to, I want you to take a moment with me. Now, if you're the grocery store person in your house, this is not going to be a stretch. If you're not the grocery store person, I just want to imagine that for some reason this week you have to be the grocery store person. Okay, are we all there? We're all now going to the Publix, the Harris Teeter, the Whole Foods. Where is you shop? We're all going to the Piggly Wiggly. We're all there, and you're going down the aisle, and you're trying to figure out what in the world sweet condensed milk really is and where to find it. You're trying to figure out why you need this because it's on the list. And someone stops you and says, excuse me, I just want to let you know, your hair is amazing. Or if you don't want to go down the hair road, they look at you and go, oh my gosh, I so love your outfit. Neither one of those interchanges, what happens to you? You're standing there minding your own business, working the list, and someone interrupts you and pays you a compliment. What does it do? I mean, the rest of the day, you think that you are a prince or a princess or a queen or a king walking through the mundane halls of the grocery store because you look fabulous. To at least one person, whether you think that or not, it perks your day up. It lifts our spirits. There's this is one simple act of doing good, of paying a compliment. Now imagine what Paul's talking about. In verses 9 through 18, he talks about this idea of doing good, that these are the things that we're to live by, he's challenging us to live by a higher standard than necessarily we sometimes do. He says, hold to what is good, love one another, outdo one another in serving. By the way, I like that, this idea of outdoing one another in serving. I mean, sometimes Meg and I get in this conversation about how life is really a competition, And, you know, we want to be first always. Imagine if we were all trying to outdo, there's probably, oh, let's say 380 of us in the room today. If we all tried to outdo one another in serving, think about the impact on the world we would have if we were racing to the line to be first and best at serving the world. Let that sink in for a minute. Try to outdo one another in serving. So Paul challenges us today, he challenges us to be ardent in the spirit, to rejoice in hope, to be patient with the afflicted, to bless our persecutors, to live in harmony with each other. See, these are actions that you and I can do to bring out the good in the world around us, to lift the spirits, to lift the, to lift the ideals, to lift sort of the general feeling of the world in which we live. And one thing we know, we know that the more that we practice, like we know this from habits, the more that we want to do a good habit and make it something good for us, the more that we practice, the easier it becomes. That should be the same thing with this idea of doing good, the more that we practice it. So here's here's the long form homework for this week, and we'll put it up on social media, but these are some questions I want you to ask yourself this week, because this is where the rubber meets the road. So whatever happens when you walk out the door, you're gonna be tempted to speak to something. Something's gonna come up, but you're gonna be tempted to speak for whatever reason. And the question I want you to ask yourself before you open your mouth is this Is it kind? Is it true? Is it loving? Now, someone at the nine o'clock service said, and maybe we ought to ask ourselves is, do I even need to speak at all or is silence okay? It's sort of helpful. But before we speak, is it kind? Is it true? Is it loving? Before we let a thought anchor in our hearts is, is it good for our hearts or is it good for our soul or should we just let it go? And before we act, Is it loving? Is it kind? Is it positive for others? See, I think in our eye for an eye world that we are better served if we start here asking these questions before we speak, before we act, or before we dwell on something too long. Now, I'm not saying that when there are opportunities where something has gone awry and something's been perpetrated by bad actors, that there aren't consequences, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be judge, jury, and executioner either. Before we speak, before we act, before we harbor a thought, is it kind? Is it true? Is it loving? Will it be positive? Is it good for my heart? Is it good for my soul? See, I think when we do those things, we begin to bring about the good in the world. Think back to that where you are in the grocery store with me. You're you're walking along, looking at the list, and someone says, I love your hair, or I love your outfit. Think about what that does for us. Folks, if we approach the world that way, think of the difference that we as individuals make. So I have an experiment. While you're pondering those questions each and every day, here's something I want you to do the next time you're at the grocery store or at the convenience store or even at Staples or Lowe's. Because everybody's figured out that when you go to the kiosk, if they put candy right there, it's an impulse buy. We're all going to buy a candy bar more often than not. That's the reason why they're there. They figured out that that's where they make the money. But you stand there, and while you're looking there, you're going to have a little fun. You're going to look puzzled at the candy aisle, and you're going to try to figure out what you want to buy, and you turn to the cashier or the person in line behind you or your friend that's with you and say, I think I want a candy bar today, but I don't know what to get. What do you like? And they might say, well, you know, I'm a Snickers person myself. Buy two Snickers bars. Now, see, they think they're helping you pick a candy bar, but once you've transacted all the business, and if it's like the grocery store, they ring it up and they say, you may put it in the bag or give it to you. You want to take it with you because remember, we're all getting ready to have a snack. And then what you do, before you leave, as you've sort of got everything in your buggy and you're about to go out the door, hand that candy bar to the cashier or the person in line behind you because the bonus bar you bought is really the one you're putting in your pocket because you bought something for someone else and just walk out the door. Hope you have a great day. Have a candy bar. Walk out the door. Think of the impact that will have on the world around us, that one simple act of doing something good. But what we know about doing good is that it's not just the individual acts. It's also the acts of the community. Time and again, we will see in a newspaper where there'll be some article about a church or a civic group or some other club or a business that has done something magnanimous, whether it's build a Habitat house or pay down medical debt or something else, and there's this article about it and how it's changing the life or lives of others. See, what we hear in verses 20 through 21, what Paul is writing, not just to individuals, but he's also writing to the church in Rome. And so he says, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Overcome evil with good. It's a challenge to us, the church, both the institution, but also its people, the church living and breathing. It's a challenge to us to go forth in the world and to live our values. So the day I was driving down the interstate and I got behind one of those 18 wheelers and the sign on the back says, the most valuable cargo is 54 feet in front of you. Now it took me a minute to realize, oh, wait a minute. Those trailers are 54 feet in length. So the most valuable cargo is the driver. So it's a statement of values about this trucking company that they value their drivers. The most valuable cargo, not whatever's in the back of the trailer, but what's in the cab up front. Or maybe you might see an ad uh, or somewhere on a corporate website that says, our most valuable resource, our people are our most valuable resource here at XYZ Corporation. Again, corporations living out their values. But here's the question. We read these things, but do their corporate actions back it up when the earnings call comes online and they begin to talk about how they're really concerned about their earnings, what is the temptation of senior leadership? Let's hold wages low. Let's lay people off so we cut our expenses and we bring our profits up. Then are people really our most valuable resource? Now, they intend to do good, and don't get me wrong, but what would it look like if the teams in these companies would start to value each other, if team leaders would say to management, upper management, look, we need to raise the salaries for our employees, for the members of my team, they're really working, or we need to raise the salaries for another division because it's really killing it. It's really working hard. What would it look like if we began to to lift the tide of all the employees in the company, even if it means that our bonuses might be lowered? See, I believe this idea of doing good in a corporate setting means if you look out for others, that they will look out for you and that everybody wins. But it's not just in the capital sphere either. It's also in the government and the policy sphere. We hear all the time how communities and caucus groups talk about education is the most important gift that we can give to a child, and we know this to be true. But how many times do they talk about that, but then when they go to policy meetings or school board meetings, they argue for their caucus viewpoint only, and they're not willing to listen to anyone else. They're not acting upon the 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 conviction that education is most important. What they're acting upon is the conviction that we are right, and the rest of you are wrong. What does it look like if we come together as a community? We begin to really lean into this idea of advocating not for our agenda, but advocating for our values. What if that becomes our agenda, if you will? That what we hold true, those simple gospel words like loving God, loving neighbor, loving our enemy, loving ourselves, loving one another. See, the work of the church, the work of it as the institution, as its people, is to do good by bringing God's values to bears in the public sphere, on the highways and byways where God's people meet each other and to spark the change that the kingdom of God calls for each of us to be a part of. So think about this simple phrase from John Wesley, do good. And I think about what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did in selling his rings and his trophies, using the proceeds to help children gain a better education, to succeed in life. See, I think what he understood, he understood that doing good is about doing something for someone who cannot repay you but in doing so, it changes the world for them and for all of us. Doing, something good, doing good is doing something for someone who cannot repay you, but changes the world for them and for all of us. And so my prayer for us, the people called Centenary United Methodist Church, my prayer for us this week is that we would do all the good we can in all the means we can in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as we can. And if we do that, the world wins. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.